and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Well, how are you doing, Bent Tree? Is that a great worship? Let's thank God for our time of worship, yeah? Man, we thank God for our band, our tech team, but you guys singing. Man, this is the most singing church I've ever been a part of. Thank you for participating in this. Uh, well, I'm happy to see all you smiling faces, uh, especially you guys with beards. We love beards here. And uh, ladies, I'm glad you don't have one. So I love my church family. If you're visiting, my name is Paul Trimble. I'm the senior pastor here. It's a privilege to get to serve here at Bent Tree. It means a lot if you're visiting that you came and, and took time to come to Bent Tree today. It, it, it does mean a lot to join us in a time of worship. I would love to meet you after the gathering. I'll be right at the door on your way out and I'd just be happy to shake your hand or do that elbow bump if you're not into shaking hands, or I'm a hugger, so I'd love that too. So uh, go ahead and get your Bibles out. We study the Bible here, amen? We study the Bible. We're going to be turning to Luke chapter 12. That's kind of in the newer part, the what we call the New Testament, and we'll get there in a minute. You can put your thumb there, and in James chapter 1, we'll have a brief stop off there. Eventually, we believe that baptism is very important. Today, we celebrate baptism. It's one of the most important things in a believer's life. It's one of the main ways we as a family celebrate uh, when an individual experiencing the ordinary means of grace says, Look, I stand with Jesus. He is my king. And I want to show you that the old me is dying and the new me is coming out. Well, today we have some baptisms at the end of our our time, and believer baptism, man, it's so important to take part in, to say, I stand with Jesus. We don't take that lightly. Baptism does not save you. It's an outward expression of what's happened in your heart. And if you've never been baptized, if you're an adult, uh, and, and yet you believe in Jesus, maybe it's time. It's time. Quit sitting on the sidelines. It's time for you to jump in. Uh, show the world what you believe. Well, today, as we pick up in this series, we are uh, spreading out the series, let me say it carefully, over a couple of years. Does that make sense? Like we're doing two weeks at a time over the next couple of years. We did this back in May, and we're taking a break from our regularly scheduled series, John, that's titled, So That You May Believe. We'll come back to that soon, I promise But I promise you, we would come back to this little series we started in May. We did two weeks then. We'll do two weeks now. And it's titled Base 10 Living. So go ahead and get something to write with. We got a lot of notes. And the idea behind this little series that we're spreading out over time is we want us to see how to be set free. Set free from what the world demands you live your life as a Christian. Set free from false, unrealistic expectations the world has on you. And then to be set free to live the life outlined in Scripture for believers in Jesus. A freedom to live how God has called us to live. And as always, we'll look to what God says in His Holy Word, the Bible, about how we should live. This is what we, we preach. At Bentree, we ascribe to the Reformation principle that started 504 years ago today. The principle of sola scriptura, scripture alone. 
Meaning that we recognize Holy Scripture as sufficient, certain, infallible. It's the standard of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Can I get an amen? In other words, what Scripture says, God says. It alone has the authority to bind our conscience in matters of faith and in practice. And before we get into our sermon today, let's just go to God in prayer as a family. If you would, bow your head with me and let's just seek Him. Sound good? God, our Father in heaven, we just, we do come before you as a family in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. We pray that you would bless our time together as your children, as brothers and sisters in the faith that have just come to study your words of truth. God, we humbly ask that your Holy Spirit would be in this place, be in our hearts, open our eyes to your word, open our ears to its truth. God, if there's someone here that's not saved, save them, God. Lord, we pray that you teach us what we do not know. Say to us what we need to hear to grow us into the person you have called us to be. And God, I know there's a lot of attitudes and different things in this room and distractions and burdens with people right now. Would you help us just to lay those burdens down, those distractions down? Help us to give it over to you. Help us to offer this time of preaching as an act of worship to you, God. Help us to get the meaning of what you want. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's take a few moments to remember back in May when we did this series. The first time we hit those first two weeks, we'll just touch on this a little bit. First is that we use the term at Bent Tree called base 10 living. It's this idea that everything we have comes from God. Now look at this. This is a little stopover. James, the brother of Jesus in verse 17 of chapter 1 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Whether it be our houses or our cars, our health, our relationships, our friendships, our family, our freedoms that we all have, it comes from God. Amen? And even the ability to take a breath and breathe out. Take just a moment, put your hand over your heart. Feel real gently there. Do you feel it beating? That's God. He's keeping your heart beating. Letting you breathe. We heard John the Baptist last week tell us in John three twenty seven. he said this, that no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. From God. And if that's true, and we believe it is, then what base 10 living is talking about, it means that we give back a portion to God in worship from the very beginning as an act of worship. The most common lesson and the most important lesson we learn is this fundamental foundational part that we can learn in life is to think of ourselves as a steward of everything in our lives. The time time God gives you, it's a finite thing. It will come to an end as a start and a finish. Time can be wasted. Like the talents God gives you. I mean, you have those talents for a reason. He didn't give you a talent for just nothing. And how many times have you seen great talents wasted? Many times. I've wasted them. And then your treasure, what we're talking about today, that God bestows on you. 
I mean, we're simply stewards of all these things. Time, talent, treasure. We can talk about the three T's. Time, talent, treasure. But it's important to understand a fundam, at a fundamental level. This. Now write this down. This is important. A steward is someone who owns nothing. But is responsible for everything. This is important. A steward is someone who owns nothing. But is responsible for everything. Now, thinking of ourselves as stewards of those three T's, rather than the owner, it gives us this completely different perspective on how to live and approach our life, doesn't it? We give our time in serving others at church or in other ministry areas. A bunch of bent treers were serving yesterday in the community. We give our daily time of studying God's word Our personal prayer, daily time, I pray for many of you each day. We give our Sundays over to worship, this corporate time, corporate meeting together each week. We put everything else on the back burner. We say sports, all that stuff doesn't matter. We're going to make this about you. Base 10 living is just shorthand way to refer to a lifestyle that we see throughout Scripture to remind us to give back to God in worship, a percentage was of what he's so graciously given us. Now, this is where the foundation of this base 10 living comes from, is in our money, wealth, and our income. The foundation of a balanced Christian life is expressed in this phrase from <clears throat> chapter 2, I'm sorry, it's chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians verse 5. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. If the Lord doesn't have your wholehearted first devotion, he doesn't want or need your money. Do you hear me? If you want to know the truth, tithing money out of those three T's of time, talent, and treasure, tithing money, tithing the treasure, it's the easiest to be obedient in. Because even what we earn, we know that it all ultimately comes from God, doesn't it? So how do we begin base 10 living? Well, to begin with, giving the tithe, or what we call the foundational part, it's what the base is of base 10 living, giving that 10% base begins giving it to God, the first 10% of income, or what we call the tithe. Now, you might say, but Paul, I-, I thought that tithing was an Old Testament thing and we're under the new covenant, the under, under the new relationship with Jesus. How does that apply to me, to us? And the answer is, if tithe, that first 10%, the giving of the 10th off the top was the appropriate way to express our love to the Father, our gratitude, our dependence on God in that old covenant, which is only the shadow of the blessings that we now live in, in the new covenant, then we should regard that at that base 10 as the place to start with the new covenant because we have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. Now remember, that's why we call it the base part of base 10 giving. Now remember, the word tithe means a tenth part. We give that first but not just first in order, we give it first in priority. Does that make sense? That's what we learned last time. So write this down. The foundation of base 10 living begins with base 10 giving. The foundation of base 10 
living begins with base 10, giving. We begin with giving money back to God. And like I said, that's the easiest part. Because once we get that down, it begins to free our hearts up as we think of ourselves as stewards in these other areas of our life in worship. What I mean is that when we exalt God with our money first and make him the most important part of our life financially, it begins to spill over into other areas of our life. And what we want to do with this part of our series is to understand how we can worship God with our money first. And remember, first, it's not just priority. I mean, in line, it's priority as well. It's not just in sequence, it's in priority. And in our singing and our attendance and our participation with our corporate worship time and in our serving of the body of Christ with with what we do each week. I mean, so let's take our text for today. If you would stand with me in reverence to the word of God being read publicly. If you're new to Bentry, it's something weird we do. It's kind of old church. We just want to go, hey God, we, we, wanna, we just want to stand out of reverence. And up to this point in chapter 12 of Luke, what you need to know is Jesus has been speaking to his followers. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or where or where you will live. He says this, starting in verse 30. He says, for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Praise God for his word. Amen? You may be seated. Let's unpack this stuff, shall we? Here's where we go. Here's where we start out. Let's begin with a definition of worship. I mean, if we are worshiping God with our money... Or time, talent, too, but with our money, what does it mean? What does worship mean? Here's what we need to get off, uh, get to right off the bat. Is the core of worship is treasuring God as valuable above everything else. The core of worship is treasuring God as valuable above everything else. So how do we treasure something or someone? How do we value them? Our treasuring or our worshiping of God takes place in different forms, doesn't it? Our singing, the lifting of our hands, our attendance, our study. Even you just thinking about what I'm saying right now. You're giving the attention to God studying his word. The acts of worship. We, in that, we show God how much we value him. So look at verse 31 in your Bible. Or you can look up here on the screen. He says, but seek first his kingdom and these things will be provided for you. Remember, he's talking about things you might be worried about. Matthew, in his gospel, this doesn't say first, it just says, but seek his kingdom. But in Matthew, in his gospel, he says first in there. Now, although it doesn't say that here, it's certainly implied in the order. Because this is the first thing that Jesus says to do. Make sense? Jesus is instructing his disciples here to seek the kingdom. Make that 
first in priority and first in order. Now, what does that mean? It means that their heart should be focused primarily on the work of spreading the gospel or preaching. You go, I'm not a preacher. I go, yes, you are. Sometimes you use words, but you preach with your life. That the kingdom of God has come in person and the work of Jesus Christ. Preaching the gospel. That's what we do in our little spheres of influence. In other words, Jesus here is telling them, he says, your heart should be focused on your work in the kingdom. And don't let anything else get in front of that mission. Now, much of what is just above this in Luke, like we said, is Jesus saying, quit worrying, quit worrying, quit worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. Now, why does Jesus stress so hard to his disciples that they're not supposed to worry about stuff? Why does he do that? Here's why. Because there's a danger. There's a danger. Watch. Worry takes our focus off of Jesus and places it on our needs. Let that sink in. Worry takes our focus off of Jesus and what he's calling us to do and places our thoughts, our actions on our needs. Or another way to say it is that if we are to treasure or worship Jesus as our thoughts and through our thoughts and actions where we live, what worry does is to short circuit the worship of Christ Jesus and place that on the treasure of things. God, I'm worried. You're not going to take care of me. I'm worried about these things. Do you see how it takes your mind off of Jesus and the focus? You're worried about what's going to happen. So what does Jesus tell us to do in verse 32? He says this. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid. Now, I study things in the Greek and Latin even. And even Hebrew, and you know what this means in Latin? It says, I mean in Greek, don't be afraid, little flock. That's what it means in Greek too. It's the same thing. Well, remember, he's talking about physical things. We all need to live. Verse 31 says, when it comes to that stuff, seek first the kingdom, not that other stuff. Jesus tells us that it will be provided for you. What? The things you need. But here in verse 32, Jesus gives us a command and it can slip by so quickly. So don't miss the command of Jesus. What's the command of Jesus about our needs? He says, Jesus commands us, don't be afraid. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. Don't be afraid. Jesus commands us. God commands us to not worry about money. Why is that? Well, because it takes our eyes off the regular work on which is to seek his kingdom, sharing the gospel with family and friends, those at work, at school, discipling those around you, helping other Christians grow, serving, loving them. So let me just ask, if this is the direct command from Jesus to his followers to not be afraid, what does it mean when we are afraid and we disobey Jesus? It's a sin. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. When we worry about our needs, it's a sin. And praise God, there's grace in the Lord. Amen? (laughs) There's grace in the Lord. I'm counting on it today. Or another way to say it is the amount we worry about our needs is the amount that we don't trust Jesus. And that amounts to sin, doesn't it? 
Ouch, that one hurts, baby. That one hurts to preach because it's true. Look in the second half of verse 32. It says, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Now, Jesus tells us that we should not be afraid because the father delights to give you the kingdom. Not just your basic needs so you can just barely get by like bread and water in a prison cell. No, God is happy. He's joyful. He's taking delight in taking pleasure in giving his children, his daughters and sons, the kingdom. Now, why is that? Because they're his children. Now, he is a father that wants to give his children the kingdom. Now, we'll come back to that, what that means in just a moment. But here's what I want you to see. Why it is so important that we are not afraid of having our needs met. Because as we treasure God in meeting our needs, we can bring glory in five different ways. Listed out in verse 32. You're going to see all five of them. Now, when we glorify, that has a deep meaning. When we say that word glorify, it has to do with letting light, the glory of God, shine forth. Like we say, look, there's the light and it's shining God's light. Or another way to say it is these five ways we are magnifying God. Now, when we say we magnify God, what we're talking about there is not like a, a scientist with a microscope looking at uh, microorganisms and, and making them big enough. No, no, no. It's like a guy with a telescope looking at the vastness of the universe and bringing that little tiny part down and saying, what can we know about this little part here? It's massive. It's way too big for us to know, but it brings it down. So we're going to magnify the greatness of God. Make sense? All right, look in verse 32. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Now notice that phrase, little flock. Jesus is referring to us as his sheep again. He does that a lot, if you'll notice. If you read through the New Testament, sheep need a what? A shepherd. And who is that? Jesus is. He's described as the great shepherd. So when we are not afraid of having our basic needs taken care of, and we have our eyes on treasuring him, what we're also doing is this. When we treasure God, we are magnifying God as our shepherd. Our shepherd. We're we're taking the greatness of God. We're we're magnifying God. Oh, he's our shepherd. A shepherd's job is what? Take care of the sheep. How do you do that? Lead them to safe places. What is this, Psalm 23? He leads me by green to green pastures where water is calm. Where I'm safe, where I can sleep, I can. And what else does he do? He keeps the wolves away. He keeps the sheep safe. So skip back to verse 30, just for a moment. Just for a moment. For just a moment, Jesus tells them this. He says, For the Gentiles, the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, talking about eating what we wear. He says, And your father knows that you need them. Now, in our world, there's a vast difference between what we perceive our need to be and what many times what our wants are. We get those confused, don't we? Like when we say, we need something, most of the time we mean we want something. And like a little kid that goes to a, a grocery store with his mama and they're, they're in line, he sees the candy and goes, mama, I want some candy. I need it, mama. 
The mom knows better, doesn't she? She knows that she's got a wonderful meal that will be healthy for that child. But then there's a little plastic toy there. He says, Mama, I need that toy. Mama knows he's got a toy box full of great toys that she has bought him, thinking through all of this. Now, we can make light of little kids, like wanting stuff like that, toys and candy at the store. But we suffer in our society right now in this consumeristic mindset that says, we need more stuff to make us happy. And, and I got to tell you, to me, it has been a real fight in my life. There's been times, God, I know this thing hasn't made me happy, but if I just get that thing and that thing, it's just over the hill. I'm sure of it, God. We desire something. We want something. It, it becomes a need in our mind. But a good father knows that we need something better than what we can know ourselves. What God is doing is he is not withholding the stuff we just want. He is giving us the stuff we need. Do you see the difference? Or another way to say it is that the father, as our father, is a giving. He's giving us something that will be good for us to fit into what we need to become all that God has designed you to be. That's important, so don't miss this. It's not saying that God is just giving us bare essentials like bread and water just to keep us alive. No, 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 no. He's saying like a child that doesn't know what is good for him, the father's going to give us, his children, better food, better drink, better resources for the job, the mission at hand. So that we can accomplish all that he's calling us to do on this life. And even more than that, he is going to keep us away from the stuff that will hurt us and lead us away from a deeper relationship with him. So, in this part, when we don't worry about our needs, what we're saying is that while we are magnifying God as our shepherd, we are also, we are also magnifying God as our father. We are magnifying God as our father. Again, look at the second half of verse 32. Because your father delights to give you the kingdom. I love this. Watch close. We looked at this earlier. What is the kingdom that it's talking about here that the father is delighting? He is joy. He's giddy to give his children. This is, this is huge. Please grab onto this. Because if you're, you're a Christian and you don't get this, man, you're, you're missing one of the big pieces. What we're seeing here is Jesus is talking about the other side, heaven. You see, this world is not our home, is it? This world is fallen, it's broken. Where I come from, we'd say, man, you fix that thing with baling wire and duct tape. That's what's holding this place together, isn't it? And you feel it right now, don't you? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in uh, Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, talking about Jesus, appears, talking about his returning, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He will place a crown on your head if you are a child of God. The chief shepherd is referring to Jesus. If Jesus places that crown, it's because you are a child of God. Or to, to take a, a look at this verse from the revelation to John from Jesus. It's the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible. Chapter 3, verse 21. To the one who, over, who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just 
as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus is saying to us here that stuff that the father, the king of everything, gives you as a believer, it's all set up for you for the other side to give you a treasure there. The king is bestowing on you his kingdom in this world for that world. He is delighted in giving you his kingdom. It's his possession as God. He's given this to you. That's number three. When we treasure God, we are magnifying God as our king. We're saying he's the king. He owns everything. We are magnifying God as our king when we give back to God, when we treasure in our worship. All right, we look forward to heaven, that's for sure. I look forward to it. We keep our focus there, but here is the daily grind, right? Right in this world, this fallen world, it's a battle. Some of you have a battle on the way here. Don't look at them. They're sitting next to you. Some of you had an argument or you had a battle or, man, maybe life's been hard this weekend. You all hold up Jesus. But here's where we see the treasure of being treasuring of him that will take care of our needs. When we treasure God, we are magnifying God as generous. Ah, God is generous. Some of you doubt that. But listen, when you treasure God, you realize how generous he is. When you realize you're just a steward, we're constantly reminding ourselves through scripture That God is going to take care of our needs, right? We talk about that all the time. Because there will be times when money gets too tight. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are there right now. End of the month, no money left in the account. When bills come due and the temptation is to not trust that the Father will come through. God, don't you see? There's no money in the bills. Do you see that, God? The temptation there is to worry to not give God the base 10 amount. The temptation is to begin to worry and say, God, what are you doing? I'm trying to manage. I need a little help here. That's when we have to repent of the sin of worry and to lay those worries on the throne of grace and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. You know what I call those times when I repent of worry? Morning times. Because that's when I pray. I go, God, man, I'm sorry. I, I screwed up again. And I had some pride and anger and lust and idolatry. I'm God, God, please. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. There's grace in the Lord. Praise God, there's forgiveness, right? That's a daily battle for all of us. But let's look at that from the outside of ourselves. Like other people looking at us as we face those battles. Economic times. Hey, listen to me medical times. You got, why is this thing happening, God, to me? A body's not working right. How about relationship problems? How about a job? Outside people watching you. When you keep your eyes on seeking Jesus first, the kingdom of heaven, they see your faith in God and how he provides for you. Dude, That becomes a great way to magnify the greatness of God and bring him down where everybody can understand it. People will say things like, how are you getting through this, man? And you go, man, I'm glad you asked. It is a hard time. It's a hard time. Keeping your eyes first on the kingdom, they see your faith, what God provides for you. That becomes a great way to magnify the greatness 
of God. Don't forget. You go, God, when you face that hard time, you go, God, man, this is really rough right now. I'm going to need you and, and let your light shine in me. Because if it's not something, it's not something that if something will come that you can't handle, it's when something will come that you can't handle. Like, it'll be devastating. You go, God, I'm relying on you. He goes, I got you. By the way, each time you do that successfully, it builds your faith. Like your spiritual muscles start to get big, right? It's like lifting barbells. Mm. And Jesus entrusts more to us as we grow in our faith. Look at number five. When we treasure God, we are magnifying God as happy in his giving. Happy in his giving. What we're talking about there is he is delighting to give us the kingdom. The end of verse 32, Jesus tells us that the Father delights. He has joy in giving you his kingdom. I picture one of the joys I have as a parent. One of the greatest joys. Something my parents did for me and Bibi's parents did for her. It just makes Christmas a special time. Didn't have to be big, but it was special. And that's when the kids were especially little um, late on Christmas Eve. And we would go and get out the toys that we'd bought for the kids. We'd, we'd place, we carefully shopped and in place. We knew what each kid, let's just be honest, BB had carefully shopped. And, and, and I, was so, I was like, this is cool. She goes, yes, put it together. So I would carefully lay it out. And have you ever noticed that I kind of look like Santa Claus? And we would make the kids wait on the stairs and we'd read the Christmas story. And we're just all giddy because we know that Santa came. We know that Christmas time and we love that. The joy we shared with them, the anticipation of them receiving their gifts. They go, Daddy, Mommy, I love this. Okay, let's go back to Luke 12. The world is constantly trying to pull our eyes off of Jesus And to get us to live our life in such a way to make it about us. Because if the world can't get us to worry about money, the other ditch that we can run into is the accumulation of more and more stuff. What kind of stuff? Well, the world says, what do you think will make you happy? That kind of stuff. You know, that's a big category. Boom! My mind could start thinking of all kinds of stuff that I think might make me happy. Do you do this? Do you do this? And just like the sin of worry, the sin of placing our hopes in the accumulation of things, in the hopes that those things will make me happy. New car, new Jeep, (laughs) tools. I love tools. (laughs) That'd make me happy, wouldn't it? Just just that tool. Which one? The one next to my tool. That one over there. And, And those over there. So to combat this, this is what Jesus says in verse 33. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. And an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Mm. Now there's a lot here. We could preach a whole message here. But right off the bat, as we read it, it it's almost like the air is being let out of a, out of a, a balloon really slow, slowly. You know that little sound that irritates you. Can I keep going? It's irritating. Like you go, well, I could do that, but that's not what I want to hear. What I mean is that when we hear this, the answer is 
We don't want to hear that answer. But it's the answer we need. So let's just take Jesus at face value, considering he's God and stuff. Okay. Sell your possessions, he says. How many possessions do I sell, Jesus? Let's take a look at three different stories real quick. First is the rich guy that comes to Jesus, Matthew 19. You can read it on your own. He says, what good must I do to receive eternal life? So Jesus tells him in Matthew 19, verse 21, he says, go and sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. For this rich dude here, Jesus says, for you, it's everything. He says, your world owns you right now. You need to give up everything. Or in in other words, the stuff that owns you, rich dude, he says, sell that. Get rid of it. Give it to the poor. But then look at what Jesus tells Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the tax collector Zacchaeus, as Jesus passes under the tree that Zacchaeus has climbed up to see him. He says this in Luke 19, verse 5. When Zacchaeus came to that place, he looked and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's going to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there. And said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him. Because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to what? Seek and save the? Praise God. In this case, with Zacchaeus, Jesus basically says, half is good. Half your fortune owns you, so half. But then check this out, Acts 4, 37. Barnabas sold a field he owned and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. In Barnabas' case, just a field. That's all he needed to sell. Here's what we need to see. When Jesus says in verse 33, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, it's not a flat fee. It's not a flat percentage amount. Remember what Jesus is doing here is giving us a way to free ourselves from the anxiousness of what owns us. The pursuit of money. Here's what we need to get down. When we sell the stuff, we need to sell the stuff that owns us. We need to sell the stuff that owns us. I could give you some examples, but you're already thinking of the examples, aren't you? Like you know what's owning your thoughts all the time. And how do we do that? Pray about it. Seek godly counsel with your shepherding elder or with me, Pastor Hunter, Pastor Jeff. We'd love to talk to you about it. Go, hey, this thing's owning me. And it scared me. I want to sell it. And if God impresses on you that you need to sell an asset, then baby, you sell it. I I get it. It can be hard. Why? Because we thought that thing would make us finally happy. And the thing may be not bad. 
And what does Jesus tell us the purpose of selling our stuff is? Oh, this is big. We looked at this back in May of this year. Look at this verse 33 again. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Oh, what is Jesus talking about? What's he talking about here? He's talking about transferring wealth from here on earth to heaven. Folks, this is where we can enjoy wealth, is in heaven, without the weight of sin. Now remember, we don't know what the wealth is there exactly. I just don't think our little minds could handle it. It's simply beyond what we can comprehend. I'm convinced of that. But we just don't know much specifically. But look at what Jesus does tell us about the wealth there. It's pretty interesting. It won't grow old. It's inexhaustible. It's secure. No one can steal it. No one can swindle it. There's no inflation. And it does not decay and become unusable. Like that sweater you may have pulled out of the sweater, to, uh, the closet today that the moths kind of ate a hole in. Because it's cold. Right? You thought, I'm going to put this sweater I got last year. It looks good. Well, it's got a hole in it. BB said you can't wear that one. That's really what all we're told about wealth other than that there's a thing, listen to me, called wealth and treasure in heaven and it's worth having there. Or in other words, there's something you can do with treasure in heaven that you lay up for yourself. Again, we don't know what that is, but here's... Here's some thoughts on what I suspect. Our treasure here, right? We give to God. We sell the possessions because we want to build that treasure in heaven. Why are we to do that? Well, that's the point of the entire sermon, isn't it? That the underlying reason for all of our giving is that we want to treasure God more than stuff here. And check this out. And although I can't prove this from Scripture, at least not yet, but baby, I'm working on it. I suspect that wealth in heaven will allow us to enjoy God even at a deeper level. Like the wealth will give us a deeper relationship, just like getting rid of it here does. Like we'll be able to take even greater delight in God in heaven because the treasure that we lay up there now. Does that make sense? But let's go back to earthly wealth here. Well, here on earth, that's why we call it earthly wealth, right? I want you to understand that all of what Jesus is saying here is, is really designed to remember where our true home is. And baby, it's not here. We said that earlier, but the truth is most of you don't really believe that. You go, oh yes, I do, Paul. How do I know that you really don't, though? Because of what you do with your treasure, your money. Some of you are base 10 givers, and some are even base 10 plus givers. Like, I'm amazed by that. But more than 80% of you give little to nothing. And listen, I'm not worried about the lack of giving at the church because of the lack of money for ministry. 
But what concerns me is that it just reveals the condition of your heart. It's focused on the place that can't give you happiness. And it's not focused on heaven. It just reveals to me where your relationship with Jesus is too. You go, Paul, you can't, you can't conflate those two. But for most of you, your trust in Jesus is just paper thin. Sorry to hurt your feelings. But I, as your shepherd, have to tell you the truth. And listen to me. I want more for you. I do. I want more for you. You're living in mediocrity. I'm going, there's more. It's right here. And you're going, oh, I love Jesus. I want more for you now. And I want more for you in heaven. That's why I want it. Are you? Are you listening to anything I'm saying? And, and I get it. The point, this point in history, one of the strangest, strangest in my lifetime. With COVID and the economy and the uncertainty about the future. But folks, rain, come rain or shine, Jesus is in control, right? Jesus is in control. Because really, if you understand what Jesus is talking about here in Luke 12, you would be starting to give at least at a minimum base 10 level. Okay, let's go to verse 34. Jesus tells this. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we follow what Jesus is telling us here, this is what we learn. Base 10 giving reminds us of our true home, heaven. That's what it does. Based in giving reminds us of our true home in heaven. Because if God is the thing that you cherish, your heart will be with God in heaven. Your feelings, your thoughts, your emotions. But the cold hard truth is, if you are cherishing objects here or a way of life here, here, well, your heart will be here on this fallen earth. And listen, this place is going away. It's going away. But let's say it lasts another thousand years. I'm being generous there. Before Jesus comes back and ends it all. Even for you then, you don't have that long left. I mean, how much time do you really have left? The rest of this year? You're going to die before December? Maybe you get COVID and die. About a year. Okay, let's jump it up. 30 years. 40 years. You young people in the audience, you're going to live to about 85, 90. couple, maybe longer than that. Shouldn't you be putting money where you can truly treasure it? I mean, think about it. You're living on this conveyor belt of death. Right now, the number's one and one. Well, to end our time together, let's, let me see if I can paint a little picture for you. Paint something in your head that you can remember. It won't be perfect at all. But go with me for just a moment or two. I just want you to remember where you are from and that this world is not your home. That's the point of the story. You got that? So think about this story. You and I grew up together in this little town in the mountains. Two siblings, man, together from our earliest days. We're like inseparable. 
Man, our hometown, though, where we're from, is beautiful, to say the least. And I say little town, but it's not that tiny. I mean, but it's everything we need. It's really the perfect town in many ways. Our hometown is just a picture of that green grass, gorgeous homes, wide streets, big trees, and gardens with all kinds of great big fat tomatoes and vegetables. Gardens with roses galore. It's beautiful. And our hometown has this backdrop of all these snow-capped mountains, like 14ers all the way around, snow-capped all the way around, even in the summer. They ring the city, and just outside of the town, you see the wildflowers on the foothills, these green foothills with green grass. And in the fall, it just the colors are just amazing. The, the aspen trees are rustling when the wind hits, and they're just, it looks like it's on fire in the fall. It, it's amazing. Now, right in the middle of the town, get this, there's this beautiful river that runs right through it. There's always guys like casting, fly fishing out there. They're always caught, bringing in these big fish. The place is gorgeous, I'm telling you. But it's beauty, it compares in comparison to the people. <laughs> the family and the friends we have in that little town, well, they're simply the best. Neighbors are as close as family. And well, family, man, that's your life right there. You love your family so much it hurts. Like you get a little choked up if you think about them too much. And for you and me, it's not just your siblings. It's not just you and me. There's lots of brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents. And oh, buddy, when we eat, oh, it's unreal. Awesome food. There's tons of it. This little town has this feeling that I just can't describe. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's a joy that just kind of permeates it. Even visitors that come to this little town, they're like, man, do you realize how special a place this is? If you and I go on walks in the neighborhood, you'll see people sit out on their front porch talking way into the evening. Little kids playing frisbee and football in the front yard, hopscotch. There's laughter coming from the next house and down the street. There's feeling in this little town that everybody loves everybody else. And you and I know this for sure. Over and over, we've seen this joy in this town because when someone goes through a rough time, everyone is there to help them out. Everyone takes out, takes up and watches out for every, everyone else. Life there is ideal. It's picturesque. Some would even call our hometown perfect. It's never boring. There's always the most exciting adventures to take, hikes, all kinds of stuff to do. And remember, you and I, we grew up in this little perfect place, this little mountain town. I mean, our earliest memories were pals playing. We went through high school together. We know each other well. But one day, we decide to take a road trip. Found a car on the internet, an old cool car. We're going to go pick it up. Problem is, it's in West Texas. We've never been to West Texas. (laughs) But we go to get this car. We're going to fix it up. Now, although we've never been there, we've heard stories about people making fun of West Texas. It's flat, it's dusty, they say, it's brown, it's hot. But we think, it'll be a road trip, we'll have a good time. Well, after what seems like an endless amount of hours driving through monotonous flatness of brown, dusty 
out of the mountains and into these, that prairie, we arrive at that little town where we're going to pick up this car. You with me? This town is awful. <laughs> it's horrible. I mean, it has the basics of what you need to survive. It has a post office and a school. It's got like a little quickie mart there to get a few groceries. It has lots of, lots of oil fields and farm work where you see guys working hard in the sun. Man, that looks like some really, really difficult hard work. It seems like everything in this little town is dirty, is broken, is, is brown. The buildings are just falling apart. Sure, there's people there, but it seems like everyone is like upset or mean or sad or depressed. Just have long faces, no smiles. But not you and I, because we're from this beautiful mountain town, aren't we? We know what a good town should look like, should feel like. These guys don't know what they're missing, do they? When we get to the car to drive back, we get that car. You're going to follow me back. And, and as we start on this long journey, we think, no, no, no. We need to get some rest before we start the journey. So we go and find a room for rent for the night. Our thought is, if we just get a little sleep before we go. So we find this little sleazy motel. I mean, it's gross, like you're afraid to take your clothes off, get in the bed. But our thought is that we'll get up bright and early and get back on the road and leave this little ugly town in our rear view mirror. Let's go home. So we go to sleep. When the alarm goes off the next morning, we wake up in this little motel. And it was all just a really vivid dream, wasn't it? You and me, we're still siblings. But this motel, well, this is where we live. We don't even have a home. In fact, we know we need to put our work clothes on because the farm and the oil fields are calling this little crummy West Texas town. This is our home. This is where we grew up. But man, this dream is so vivid, wasn't it? About being in this perfect Colorado mountain town with everything. It was like you could see it, you could taste it. And that dream, you and I were going back, we we're going to drive back home, we'd be home. Our family was waiting on us. It's a good story, no? Let's add to it. Because it's a horrible story, isn't it? <laughs> Why was the dream so perfect? Why were we happy in that dream? And what's crazy is that we had both had the dream at the same time. This perfect little hometown. It's like we felt that little mountain town existed. That was our home. But the truth is that we never even had been to that town before. Or to Colorado. Now this motel, this is our home, right? But as we begin to get ready to leave for work, we both find a note that has been shoved under the door, a letter of our hotel room that's been shoved under the little door. It's a note that says, be careful. Don't forget that you have a home where people love you and are ready to see you there. Your family and friends are there excited about you coming home. I'm sending your big brother to come pick you up. He's going to take you home soon. So make sure you're ready to go. Love, Dad. You look at me and we both say, the mountain town, that was a dream, wasn't it? It's not real, is it? Folks, listen to me. Our home is heaven. It's not here. This place, temporary. This is not our home. 
Our older brother Jesus is coming to get us soon and take us there. But while we're waiting, our job is to be good stewards of our time, talent, treasure of what the Father has given us to make sure that the world around us, this little dusty old broken downtown, knows about Jesus. You see, this place is not our home. And listen, the time is short. And other people that live here on earth, they don't know about the real home where we live. And some of them will think, well, you guys are crazy to talk about a place so perfect. Your real home. And most don't realize that they face a much worse destination when they die compared to this fallen world where they now live. They face hell. Have you ever thought that for those who die in their sin, this here, northern Colorado, is as good as it'll ever get? We have to make the most of our time, talent, treasure, while we're here on earth. Because sooner or later, Jesus will be coming back. Then it's all over. We'll be home. Not in a perfect mountain town. Oh, but somewhere so much better. Heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come before you today to read your words of the promises that you have made in this book. And God, I know the world thinks we're just flat crazy for thinking that there's a God and thinking there's a heaven and there's a hell and thinking that we can somehow get there. But God, we know the way. And that way is Jesus. Got to lift up those people in our, our room right now or those online listening that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I pray that they believe. That they come home. Make yourself real to them, Jesus. And for us, God, we pray, we repent of not living how we should. Help us just to redouble our efforts, to recommit to love you and to serve you, to make the most of our time here as believers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentree Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.